This is what pink dreams are made of. Yes, this weekend is Turning Point USA's Young Women's Leadership Summit in Dallas. I'm talking fast because I'm so excited and I talk fast when I get excited. Every day of the conference will be live streamed. If you can't make it, you can follow Turning Point USA on Facebook or YouTube to watch. Uh, and also, if you couldn't make it to YWS, don't worry. We have SAS, the Turning Point USA Student Action Summit, coming to Tampa July 22nd through 24th. Uh, that is a conference for young conservative men and women. So if you're interested in learning more, go to tpusa.com SAS and use code Alex for your tickets. Women watch porn. Christian women watch porn and Christian women can get addicted to porn. That doesn't mean it's an endorsement. It just means it's a fact. It's an addiction and a habit that can wrap its way around anyone. Contrary to popular belief, it's not something that is exclusive to men. When you think of a porn addict, I know for a fact that today's guest does not come to mind. She's 29 years old. She's trendy. She's hilarious. She's blonde. She's bubbly. She also watched pornography for the first time at just 10 years old. And then only at 11, her initial curiosity morphed into full-blown addiction that only intensified and became a deeper secret as she got older and started to date. Porn left her with shame, but she couldn't leave it, not for years anyway. The darkness grew inside her and started to grow poisonous roots that she was scared she'd never be free of. Maybe there are some of you today who can relate. Maybe it's a secret that you've kept hidden from everyone in your life, and you're holding your breath as I say this. For today's guest, it wouldn't be until her early 20s that she decided to admit her own dark secret out loud and began the road to recovery. As you might have guessed, this episode is not for little ears. Here to get candid and real about her unexpected journey from porn addiction to redemption is viral TikTok star Lacey Abercrombie on The Spillover. Looking at her. I'm Lacey not looking. Lacey made me laugh. <laughs> oh no, she made me laugh. Okay, sorry. Okay. Lacey, this is supposed to be a really serious episode and conversation, and it is. It is. But every time I look at you, I start laughing. You just have one of those faces. A f- like a funny looking face? Not or? a funny looking face, per se. You just but like a ch- I'm, ch- I'm happy looking. You're very happy and you're making me laugh, which is not setting this episode up great. But it's fine. I was like, you know, maybe we'll go into the lighthearted stuff first because really it kind of fits your brand. You are hilarious on TikTok. Thank you. And just... You do all of these like satirical videos kind of making fun of Christianity, but you are a Christian. Right. So it's not like you're not a Christian making fun of it. You are. So you're in on the joke. I'm in on it. And people love that for you and in kind of participating in that with you. And so it's interesting because that's really what all your stuff is. It's so light. It's so fun. Yeah. But you have gone through some pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. And people are always like shocked to hear that, like or shocked to know that like I've experienced like incredible trauma. And so I like I like to kind of sprinkle that in with the content I create, like not making fun of the trauma, but 
telling people, hey, this is like my real story. You know, when people ask, like, why do you make fun of Christians? I'm like, well, I am one. So that would, I would start there. But then also, like, here are the things that I've experienced that have led me to be the believer that I am today. Let's go back to the very beginning for people that just follow you on TikTok and don't know, okay, well, how did Lacey's life start? What was your childhood really like? Where did you live? What was your family dynamic like? Real talk. The real, the real talk. Um, yeah, no, I had a crazy upbringing. My family life was very inconsistent. Um, my parents split when I was seven months old. So I was fresh out of the womb and my dad just was like, absolutely not. Um, I have two older brothers and they were like my dad's the light of his life. Um, and I just wasn't that for him. Um, and so he he cheated on my mom. And then my mom got into two uh, very seriously abusive relationships after that, controlling. Um, one of them was physically abusive to her, and his son sexually abused me and both of my brothers. And so early on, I mean, I was three years old, four years old, five years old. When the abuse um, started when happening? When the abuse started. So I was a child, a literal child, and so were my brothers. Um, and we didn't really understand what was going on. We knew it was wrong. Um, I knew I felt dirty, but I didn't know what was happening to me. Um, and my mom was getting like literally beat the crap out of. And so um, watching that as a young child, not having any idea what this means for me or what this really what's happened. Like there was just literally chaos ensuing 24 seven. My dad was addicted to drugs. Um, he's still a functioning alcoholic to this day. Um, and so literally just chaos ensued me 24 seven. On the outside looking in, were you always the Lacey that everyone on TikTok knows, like always super funny and look like, oh, she's such a happy child? Or did that not come till later in life after you dealt with trauma? I I think I was always the person who could, I think I can make light of anything. I think I can bring joy um, to any situation and be the life of the party no matter what, because that's just, I feel like that is who God created me to be, is like this person that is fun. Do, do the hard things make uh i mean does does that make me a better person or more funny or you know i think it helps me i think honestly the bridge that hurts and humor create mm. is truly like one of the most beautiful phenomenal fantastic things that has happened in the world when people realize we can take hurt and make light of it it's almost like you can take a, a deep breath so i don't think i was always a very like um lighthearted person but i i know like when i was younger my mom said that i always like wanted to be on TV and like, you know, so I've always kind of had like a big personality. Yeah. But I don't know that I was always funny. I definitely wasn't in middle school. I think in high school, though, I I kind of stepped into my humor a little bit in theater. You know, you get acting and you're like, OK. And then um, I think my I kind of just stepped into like who I was as I got older, probably in like my 20s. I was like, OK, this is my sense of humor and this is who I am and I'm sticking by it. And I kind of be became like unafraid to be who I was, um, yeah. whereas like before I had really chameleoned. And like kind of just I would become whoever I was around. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in my early 20s, I was like, you know what? This is me. Like, take it or leave it. If you don't like it, that's OK. But you will. <laughs> <laughs> and they do. And they do. Hundreds of thousands of people do. How many how many uh, millions of views are you at rough estimate with your TikTok videos? Um, I don't know how many views. I know that I have like. Um, collectively, like over 10 million likes, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know about the views. I do get there's there's a lot of views, and I'm thankful. But yeah, I think some there there have been people who have been like super offended by my content for sure. Oh my gosh, the messages oh, yeah. I've gotten are just it's like okay. Um, but I think like I said, humor builds a great bridge. So 
And I think a lot of the greatest comedians would say the same thing. Most great comedians had grown up with super serious childhood traumas. Yeah. And that's I feel like it helps the humor. Like it, I, I don't know. I mean, would I be funny without it? Maybe. But I think because I've experienced, especially in the church, I've experienced the weight of hurt in the church and seeing people hurt and like and, and being a part of the hurt, too, because of that. I think now I can understand it in a deeper level and make it way funnier. Yeah. I just... That's, no, for sure. It's a thing. So let's go back to when the abuse started for you as a child. Did your mom have any idea that that was going on? No. She had no idea until I I think I was in maybe the, I don't know, second or third grade when they, you start seeing those videos. They show the videos and it's like, if you've been touching appropriately or if this has happened to you, tell your mom or dad or whatever. And I told, like, I went to the hallway and told my teacher, like, oh, that happened to me. And she was like, we have to call your mom. So that was h- roughly how old? Eight or nine? Yeah. Okay, and so what happened when you were 10? Um, yeah, so whenever I was 10, um, I shared a room. So my my parents were divorced and my dad had, um, we, they had shared custody. So every other weekend, um, and we shared a room at my dad's house, me and my two brothers. And um, they thought I was asleep. They're older than me. So I'm 29, they're 31 and 32. And so they um, thought I was asleep. And boys will be boys is kind of like like the quote. And they were watching it and I saw it and I immediately like I I tried to like turn around, like go like actually go to sleep because I was like traumatized mm-hmm. and um, immediately traumatized. Like, oh, my what did I just see? Um, I'd never seen anything like that before. I was just like, oh, my like what, what's going on? Um, so it was a complete accident. And I wish I never saw it. But whenever I said that's the first time I saw it. And after that, the curi- curiosity, I would say the curiosity just grew. And so you're talking about your brothers were watching pornography with you in the room. Yes, they were watching porn. I and I I was I was awake and they did not know that. Do you think that seeing that after going through the abuse that you had been going through, did that all of a sudden just spark some more questions in your mind as a child like, "Okay, wait a minute. That looks similar to what they've been doing to me. Mm-hmm. I want to try to look this up or try to find more about it or watch more of it." I don't think I made the connection. I don't think I made the connection until I was well into counseling and therapy um, as an adult. Wow. I really don't. Yeah. And that is, a, it shocks a lot of people because they're like, well, how did you not know? I, I didn't know what I was experiencing when I was five, four, three years old. I was, I literally was such a child that even now I'll have flashbacks sometime and I'll be like, I, I just can't believe I sat through that and experienced that. And still, still some of it confuses me. Um, I think my brothers would say the same, but uh, no, I don't think I made the connection. I think what happened was that like seeing it on TV, um, it looked completely different uh, in, in my heart and in my mind. Um, almost it looked, I don't want to say it looked more attractive yeah. to me than what was happening to me, you know, or what had happened to me. Well, and I mean, there's studio lights and makeup and I mean, it's 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 enter- it's TV. It's like, literally sexy. Yeah, yeah. Literally. And so that makes sense to me. I mean, had you ever at that point, 10 years old, had the talk with your parents yet? Anything? No, we didn't have I didn't I didn't have the talk until I think I was like 14. Wow. Like, yeah. So and at that point, it was game over. Like, it, I was like, I don't need to talk. I know. You know what I mean? So, no, I hadn't had the talk. I didn't really understand um, any of it. When was the second time that you watched it? Do you remember that? Like after that first initial time, how soon were you like, I got to see more of this or try to find it? It was shortly after. Um, It was shortly after. And I, um, because I had seen it with my brothers and knew how they accessed it, I knew how to access it. And, um, you know, and I, I actually don't think my brothers 
to this day know that that's how I still I, yeah like they might watch this for the first time and find out so wow. th- I don't think I, I that's not really a part I, I usually just whenever I share my story I say I accidentally stumbled upon it and that's just the truth um, so I, I don't think I never want them to feel blame like it was their fault because it yeah. wasn't you know they were they were literally just being teenagers and so um, I think Shortly after that, I remember because it was like, you know, my dad had um, cable and access to all these channels. And that's how it was back then. Back in the day, now it's a lot easier to access. But back then it wasn't. And I remember just shortly after that being alone in my room and knowing where to go and watching it and and being just so intrigued is the word. Like just intrigued as this little 10-year-old, 11-year-old girl. Do you think it was more like I'm getting away with doing something bad or was it I am feeling sexual feelings? I think I was getting away with something bad and I'd never done anything bad before. <laughs> like, yeah. I just wasn't a bad kid, you know? And and I I mean, I never really, I've still, to this, I mean, there's nothing really bad. That's like the bad thing I did. Um, but I think up until that point, it kind of felt like I was like, this is a secret. Uh, and it felt fun at first. Felt fun to keep the secret at first. But then it felt as time went on, like I was trapped. When did it start to feel like it was a trap? It didn't take long. It really didn't take long because there's truly this part of your brain. I mean, you you know what dopamine is. You know how mm-hmm. how it makes you feel. It was like at, at first I was like, oh, this is kind of fun um, and I'm getting away with something. Um, but I, I mean, honestly, I would say months, not even a whole year, I think, until I was like, I feel like I can't get away from this. Not only was the dopamine hitting and I was like, man, this is, I'm convinced that this is a good thing um, and that it's fun for me and I like the way it makes me feel. Not only was that happening, but then I, that paired with shame and guilt from hiding a secret, um, those two things, it was killer, like yeah. deadly. Um, but I didn't know what to do. I was a girl. I'd never heard a girl talk about that before. I'd never, guys joke about it. Like, you know, when I got into middle school, high school, guys made jokes about it. Every guy watched it, quote unquote. I'd never heard a female talk about it, ever. How often were you watching it? Did you feel like you every single day needed to watch porn? When I was younger, no. So that, I don't think, from the time that I was like 10, 11, 12, 13, I don't think those years I felt like I had to watch it every day, but I would watch it when I was at my dad's house every other weekend. Like I would watch it multiple times. Um, but then whenever I got older, you know, in 14 and 15 and 16, then I started to experience like putting myself in those positions with guys. That's what I was curious about. I was going to ask you that, Lacey. I was going to say, did you feel like this was something that you were able to kind of live out mentally and then just lead at that? Or once you were in high school and having relationships with boys, did you feel like, okay, I need to act out what I'm seeing on screen? That is how I felt. I felt felt whenever I got, when I was 14 was the time that I had my first boyfriend. And I just had never... I had never thought anybody liked me that way and I had never felt attractive or anything like that. So my first boyfriend showing that kind of interest in me was like amazing and he was experienced already. And so I was so excited to be seen that way. And I think that paired with the absence of my dad for the most of my life, um, wanting that kind of male attention in that way. Those two things paired together are just deadly. And so when I was 14 is whenever I first I, I lost my virginity when I was 14 and looking back and knowing the 14 year olds I know now I'm like you're like oh so child young. yeah just such a baby had no idea so yeah how were you able to maintain just hiding it from your mom waiting till she went to sleep 
yeah my mom yeah i would wait till she went to sleep i would um i there was one time that my stepbrother did walk in but i like just flipped the channel really fast so he didn't i don't think he knew maybe he did i don't know but there was like lots of close calls you know what i mean but yeah i would wait till people were asleep or i would just lock the door when did it register for you? Okay, I actually think this might be an addiction. It's not just something I like to do. I'm addicted to it. I need it. It wasn't until therapy. It wasn't until, I mean, I feel like I, when I was 20, 20 years old, 20, I was like, this is a pro to the point. Okay, I was in Bible college, Bible college, and I was still addicted to pornography in Bible college. And I remember watching it in my Bible college dorm, and there was this light bulb that went on that was like, this is inappropriate. A, it's it's inappropriate, but B, why why do I feel like I have to have this? Like that was when right. it, cl it clicked for me. Like this might be more than just something I enjoy. So was it weird for you? I mean, you grew up in the church then? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, I grew up in the church and I'm 29. So when I was growing up, everything was about purity and they would talk about pornography, but it was always in regards to the boys. Mm -hmm. So did you grow up hearing those talks too? And you're like, oh yeah. my gosh, mm -hmm. like they don't know, but I do that too. Yeah. I remember like, you know, the True Love Weights movement. I'm yes. 29 as well. So yes. we were, we, we lived through the same thing. And I remember the, yeah, that movement. I remember, um... I remember lots of pressure being put on girls to dress better and to not be mm -hmm. XYZ. But again, like I said, I had never in my life heard a woman talk about pornography. I had heard the guys talk about it. I had heard it said in sermons in youth group about guys struggling with it. Never, ever, ever was it a girl's game. Nope. So, okay, here's here's the other thing, though. You're in Bible college. And what are you studying? I mean, to go into ministry? I'm studying the literal Bible. <laughs> <laughs> literally the bible god's so, word how were you rationalizing as a christian all of the sexual immorality verses and what you were struggling with isn't it funny it's so funny like that word rationalizing like how do we rationalize how do any of us rationalize anything with christianity you know there's people who um like to just completely live live in live we're, we're, we're sinners so i'll just start there yeah we're sinners and it's innate in my nature to do everything that I want to do and everything that I want to do is usually tied to sin. So like, uh, like Paul talks about in Romans, he said, I want to do what's right, but there's something in me that just does what's wrong. I cannot figure it out. Oh, I'm Paul. I'm Hi, I'm Paul. I'm Paul. Remember, <laughs> hi, that, Alex, Nickelodeon? I'm Paul. Remember on Nickelodeon, <laughs> yeah. that little monkey at the end of the show go, hi, I'm Paul. <laughs> only yes. 90s kids will know. Yeah, only the 90s kids will relate. But yeah, <laughs> like we're all little Paul and, and we want to do what's right, but we keep doing what's wrong. And I think I almost would say that knowing that Paul struggled that way, I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'm just going to have a story like Paul where I just keep doing what's wrong. I, I literally think I was masked. Like my version of being a Christian, like I wasn't a Christ follower. Mm. I was a Christian. And there's a difference between somebody who's recklessly abandoned and loves Jesus and is following him with their entire life. And what's then there's the a difference? Christian. The Christian is you go to church on Sundays, maybe on Easter, Christmas, you get dressed. It's great. But your day to day, your day to day life looks nothing like a like you had nothing about you has changed when i accepted jesus i was 16 maybe when i was five i did it once you know at church where it's like repeat after me and you're like i, I you know accept jesus in my heart but when i was 16 is whenever i was like oh okay i want to do this and whenever i turn whenever you accept jesus or become a christian what what about your life changes literally almost every single thing has to because before jesus you're you're doing everything that you want to do and you're living this certain way and then after jesus you're supposed to follow somebody else and you're supposed to abandon yourself 
myself. So I didn't know that. So I just kept doing what I was doing. And so I would post the scripture on my Facebook, but I didn't live like Jesus. I didn't live like I loved Jesus. I would, oh boy, I'd be, t- I'd be gossiping about everybody. I'd be having sex with my boyfriend. I'd be doing everything wrong, but then I would claim to love Jesus. And I'd be like, oh, no, no, I'm a Christian. And so I could see the disconnect. Now as an adult, I see the disconnect. But then I was a kid. I didn't know. It wasn't until I was 21 that I met my mentor and she was like, hey, so you're actually supposed to follow Jesus and this is what it looks like. And the freedom that I found that way was so much better. I was like, oh gosh. So I think we just, I think sometimes we just, we call ourselves Christians and we go on Easter and we go on Christmas and that's fine. No judgment from me. That's fine. But for me personally, I found peace in life and joy and freedom when I actually dove in head first. Okay. So what was happening in Bible college when you were like, okay, oh my gosh, I feel it happening. I'm going to have to reveal my secret. Yeah. I'll tell you the exact thing that happened. I was um, in my dorm and one of my friends uh, from Bible college, Bethany, she was like the only girl that I really got along with at Bible college. I'm not going to lie. If any of my Bible college friends are listening to this, they're like, our like, friendship hey. was fake. It was because there were just, it was just a very strange place. Bethany was the only girl I felt like was normal. And by normal, I mean like, like me. And I was like, I feel like we get along. We both had nose piercings and we listened to rap music. And like, you know, we were kind of just like cool and edgy, but we also love Jesus. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the I love Jesus, I cuss a little, you know, kind of vibe. Like me and Bethany had that vibe and we were cool um, is what I felt like. And so she and I were in my dorm and we were just having like some quiet time. So there was just worship music playing. We were just sitting on the couch, like not really talking. Well, this song came on that's called Come Out of Hiding. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So I had never heard this song before. Okay. So I'm just sitting there. I'm journaling, whatever. Come out of hiding comes on. The the lyrics literally say, come out of hiding, you're safe here with me. There's no need to cover what I already see. You've got your secrets, but I hold your peace. You've been on lockdown, but I have the key. I've loved you before. You knew it was love. I saw it all, but I chose the cross, and you were the one that I was thinking of when I rode, rose from the grave. Now, read up the shackles. My victory's yours. I tore the veil so you could come close. There's no reason to stand at a distance anymore. You're not far from home. And I was listening to that, and I literally was weeping because I had never, ever, ever, ever made the connection that he saw it all already, already knew, and still would choose me a thousand times over again, knowing what he knows about me now, seeing what he's watching me watch what I was watching, the filth, the dirt, the shame I felt. He had already known that from the beginning of time and saw it and would still choose me a thousand times over. There was suddenly this thing that clicked in my brain that was like, you're already loved. There is nothing that I could do that could separate me from the love that God has for me. And I was like, wait a second. That's my truth. That's true. Like, hold up. And then at the end of the song, the best part is as, oh, as you run, what hindered love will only become part of the story. Mm. And I remember hearing that. And and, and I, I don't think I knew what it meant then, but I do now is what, oh, as you run towards freedom, when you run towards the truth, what you thought would hinder love, what you thought would hinder God from loving you actually just becomes part of your story. And I'm watching that full circle moment sitting here with you, Alex, because that's exactly what happened. Chills. Like exactly what happened. So I that's I, I looked over at Bethany and I said, I need to tell you something. She said, OK. And keep in mind, I had convinced myself that no matter who I told, they would be like, you're absolutely disgusting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that had, that's what had kept me is the shame and the dirt and the guilt. And I looked at Bethany and I said, I have been addicted to pornography for 11 years and I've never told anybody. And she goes, okay. And I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> I've been waiting all this time to share this secret and that's what you have to say to me? She said, she said, it's okay. And I was like, I'm like, wish I would have done this sooner. 
And so then what was the next steps? <laughs> the next steps was telling other people. And so who, who, were the, who was the next person? The next person I told was my RA, Heather. Um, I told her, I was like, hey, I just want you to know I have been struggling with pornography. I've watched it here. Like, you know, and then and then going to another female leader. Her name was Lisa. She was one of my mentors while I was at school. Going to other older women who were mentoring me, who were a part of my life, who knew me, who knew my day-to-day routine. Telling people who are close to me is the thing. Because people still, after I've told people on the internet and I've, I made a TikTok about it, they want to message me and tell me that they're struggling with porn. Mm-hmm. That's great, but I can't help you. I, I can only share my story and encourage you to share yours, but I cannot one-on-one counsel every single person that's in my DMs telling me that they're yeah. addicted to pornography. But I think that's the next step is telling people. So I started telling, not, I wasn't like telling all these dudes like, yeah, we want to, you know, yeah. like I was telling all of these older women that I trusted and my close best friends who would hold me accountable, who would know. <laughs> Last week for Memorial Day, my boyfriend and I went to a pool party at a friend's house, and I was excited to bring some of my Moink chicken wings to put on the grill for everyone to try. And one thing about me is I am way too scared to try to grill, but when the men are around, I'm going to make them do it. Moink is the meat subscription service that I use. It is Moo plus Oink. Moink gives you access to the freshest, most sustainably sourced meat and fish, all while supporting American Family Farms. I love it. Our friends were super impressed and you'll love it too. I don't know what was better. The chicken wings or seeing my boyfriend in his little short swim truck. So cute. Ayo. The moink difference is a difference that you can taste and you can feel good knowing that you're helping family farms stay financially independent. Keep America farming by signing up at moinkbox.com spillover and conservatives will get one whole year of filet mignon for a year. That is one year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste. But for a limited time, go to moinkbox.com slash spillover. That's M-O-I-N-K box.com slash spillover. Who were you the most ashamed of knowing the truth? That's a good question. I think I was probably, I think the fear up until, up until probably like, I don't know, four years ago, I was I was afraid to tell anybody I was close to. It wasn't like it wasn't like all of a sudden it was like this is like a fun thing to say. Like whenever I I, I left Bible college and then I I I left the church I was at and then I joined a new church. Then you get new friends and you have to tell your new friends too. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, you so like to reshare that. I have to rehash it every time I meet somebody new. It's like I wish I could just like I wish they could just know already. But I think the fear that comes with like I remember telling like one of my closest friends when I first met her telling her and I, I was you, you're scared but then it's like everybody every single person I've ever told responds the same okay how can I help you like well how can I be there for you I'm like well you gotta ask me have you watched porn today <laughs> and they're like what I'm like yeah you really do have to ask that and so, they did so now okay so how old were you when you finally came clean about this I was 21 okay so it's been eight years yeah that you've been sober or have no, there been any, no. any relapses oh gosh oh gosh <laughs> I wish it had been eight years. Um, I ended up, so like the thing about porn is that it's highly addictive and it, it really is similar to drugs. Like it really, it yeah. really does. It really is like you, like I don't have to go to rehab for porn, but I have to be, I have to, somebody has to tell me why I should stop and how to, because it's not night and day. I think, and I want people who are listening to know that, like you can't just like tell somebody and then expect it to go away. Mm. Like that still lives in you. That addiction is still very much prevalent in your life. And so you have to take steps 
to quit. And so um, I joined a program called Regeneration. Uh, it's also known as Celebrate Recovery. It's literally a 12-step program. And you people people of any kind of brokenness come. So divorce, alcoholism, drug, whatever. And so I'm literally every single week had to be like, hi, my name's Lacey Abercrombie and I'm addicted to porn. <laughs> and everyone's like, hi, Lacey. I'm like, so that's when it got easier to share. Um, that was about almost six years ago. So I did, and I was in that program for a year and a half. So I've actually really only been porn free for four years. Is it really just as drastic as, okay, I got to put safeguards on my phone and computer and TV? Absolutely it how, is. How, okay, so it is. That's oh, absolutely it is. It's absolutely like, there were times where I was like, I need to literally throw my iPhone away and get a Nokia. I'm about to get that, about to get a brick because. I would rather do that anyway. <laughs> You're like, wait, that's cut. you're on to something. Yeah. No, but there, um, yeah, I did. I had Covenant Eyes, which is like a on my phone, on my computer, um, which I'd never used my laptop before anyways, but I did put it on there just in case. Um, and it literally runs a report and it sends it to a people of your <gasps> choice. Okay, that is hardcore accountability. Yeah, that would, scare, joke. that would scare me into complying for sure. Like if that was set up to like just go to my dad or something, yeah, absolutely I'm not. like, I'm not looking at anything weird, yeah. I swear. That I'm just Googling me. the Wordle hint for the day. <laughs> the <laughs> like, Wordle. I promise. Okay, yeah. so is it hard for you or, or going through this process of getting sober from pornography? Is it like you can't even watch certain TV shows that are not necessarily porn, but like watching Euphoria or Game of Thrones? Can you watch shows oh my like gosh. that? Okay, so in the beginning, no. Okay. So like when I when I was in, in 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 regeneration that whole time, I just withstood. I was like, I won't be able to to get along. Like I I won't be able to watch those things. There were times where like like it's so it's so silly. Like just little like little sex scenes were coming up, and I would literally be like, I would have to like leave like the room, or if I was with friends, leave the theater. Like and just take a second because it's very easy to fall back into it. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's easy as literally, I mean, and 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 my porn habit was created out of boredom. Like when I when I was bored or sad or lonely, like that's when I would watch porn. And so anytime I feel that way, I'm always triggered. Mm -hmm. I'm like if I'm if I'm feeling bored, I'm like, "Oh man, I have to get up and move and get up and like because still, still it's a struggle today." So, yeah, in the very beginning, I could not watch any of that. Now, I can watch like I watched Bridgerton Oh, yeah. That's full of sex. Season one. What were y'all doing? <laughs> but it's also like I had to figure out what happened, so I had to keep watching. But I would not watch it alone by myself at night. Yeah. So it'd be during the day. In the morning, I could watch it um, while getting ready, while doing my hair. Like, I had to be actively doing something else while watching it. Uh, otherwise, I mean, I could definitely see myself if I was at night watching Bridgerton. There were some major sex scenes on there. You know, I would be completely tempted. Yeah. So I either watch shows like that with a friend or during the day. Um, nighttime is just really easy for that to just be like, when you watch a show like that and there's a sex scene and you are with a friend, are they looking at you like... <laughs> <laughs> no, thank God. <laughs> like, I wonder what she's thinking about. They're like, Lacey, do you need a snack? you need some water? You get up. You need to get up. Get up. Walk. Walk. Walk Lap. around. Laps. I'm like, no. I would never, like, never. I've never watched porn with another person. I've never, like, been tempted to do that. I feel like that is so weird. Um, And thank God that I feel that way because... <laughs> Do you still notice ramifications of porn addiction in your life today? And if so, do you feel like they'll ever go away? I think um, the answer is yes. I still feel like there, there are definitely ramifications. It's It changes the way I viewed intimacy. And That's, that is yeah. so sad. Um, are you dating anyone seriously right now? No. 
My number's two on four. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a joke, but keep it in. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm not dating anybody right now, but my last serious relationship, um, ha- that was a hard person to tell, you know, like yeah. you, you fall in love and like, it was pretty early on that I was like, Hey, just so you know, I was addicted to porn for 11 years. And he was like, no way. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I watch porn. I was like, still. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of like, you know, it, it creates a little bit of a barrier of like, okay, I can't judge you for doing that I just have to live clean and free from me doing it intimacy has changed for me in the sense of like it's almost like I want to it's hard for me to look at myself the same it's hard for me to look at myself through the lens of Jesus like the way that I know he sees me that's a struggle to see myself as worthy and as complete and as whole even though I went through all those things so I think like my confidence my self-esteem the way I view myself um it's really hard to because you watch all these people who are perfect doing these amazing like whatever they're doing on on TV and you're like whoa and you're and then you whenever you are trying to to be this beautiful person um and you want people to view you that way like mm-hmm. i i think i've just struggled in relationships since um since i started watching porn i've struggled in every single dating relationship i've had because i want to be desired that yeah. way and that's really hard because that shouldn't be the first thing you know what I mean I should want to be known for my intelligence and I should want to be known for being this independent woman but instead I'm like I hope that they desire me sexually and it's created fights when they haven't it's created yes. it's created arguments because I can relate to that my 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 version of intimacy intimacy is different and it um it has created it's created self-esteem issues confidence issues I don't think it'll always be that way I think four years is is it, it's a it's a long time but in hindsight it's really not like compared to 11 of struggling with it mm-hmm. so I just keep giving myself patience and grace and and keep saying okay like whenever I do find myself being triggered or, or find myself in a conversation with a guy that I really like and I don't feel like he's desiring me I go back to thinking why do I need to be desired by this person mm. like why do I need their affection and it's because I was trained to think that desire equals love. How confusing is it that culture right now tells young women it's normal to watch porn? It's normal for your boyfriend to watch porn. You it's sexually empowering to watch pornography as a woman. It is it sucks. I think about this all the time. All the time. As someone who is a recovering porn addict, like I think about this more than I wish I should. I could. I mean, it's everywhere and it's so normalized. And so my whole thing is um, when I made a TikTok saying like, hey, guys, like this is a part of my story. Yeah. And that's what what I found. (laughs) Actually, my very, very best friend, Lauren, who all the cute conservatives know and love, she sent it to me, said, you've got to get this girl on the spillover. And then I started watching all of your TikToks and I was like, oh, my gosh, she's a superstar. Number one. But number two, yeah, the way you tell your story is just phenomenal. Thank you. It's so beautiful. So. I don't know what I, now I, I interrupted you rudely. No, and I don't fine. remember what you were saying. No, I was saying that like when I even when I shared it on there, I preface by saying, hey, what I'm about to say is for people who specifically don't want to watch porn anymore, mm. because there are hundreds and thousands and millions of people who don't see anything wrong with it. And I know that my TikTok probably won't be the person to convince them. You know what I mean? They're probably yeah. just going to keep scrolling past. Um, I want I want to make sure that I'm like clear that I don't if you watch porn and you're you don't think that it's wrong. I'm not going to judge you, but I am going to share my story of how it literally ruined my self-esteem, my confidence. It ruined the way that I, I view myself. I've I, I've struggled loving myself since like I am going to tell you the negative effects that it has on your brain. I'm for sure going to try and convince you that it is it for sure is the wrong thing to do and that it can really ruin a lot of parts of your life. But if I can't convince people of that, 
my job is to share my story as many times as I can with as many people as I can. And my job is to, of course, share like what I've experienced and how it has negatively impacted my life forever. Like there are parts of me that will never, ever, I can never get back. Mm -hmm. The years of my life that I spent addicted born, I can never get those back. Like, and I will for sure, like I'll, I will, I will die on the hill of sharing your story is the most powerful way that you can um, love people who are still in that. So with people who feel empowered watching porn, I would say, uh, what is your definition of empowerment? Mm -hmm. And um, who's telling you that that's right? You know what I'm saying? So, and everybody's different. And um, I, I can't say that I'm 100% right. You know what I'm saying? But I will say porn has negatively effect, affected my life. And, and I'm telling you all the ways like my there have been so many parts of me that are that I can never, ever, ever get back therapy, years of counseling, years of therapy. Um, and I still there are parts of me that will always be full of shame, guilt, those kind of things like there's just there's stuff that you can't you can't get back. What do you have to say to a young girl who? It's like, well, I only watch it here and there or, you know, it's not I'm not actually going and watching pornography on porn websites, but I like to read literatica or, you know, written porno porno pornographic stories. It's not a big deal. I'm not addicted. I only do it once in a while. I would still say it's harmful to your no matter what, if you like just like whenever people are. People say that they do other things once in a while. Mm -hmm. I'm like, it doesn't matter how often you do it it affects your mental health. It affects you mentally. And it will a thousand percent, if it hasn't already, affect the way you view yourself, the way you view yourself in relationships, the way you view intimacy, the way that the way you think everybody else views you. Like it affects parts of your brain that you don't even know. And that's why you think it's okay. Yeah. But one day you'll wake up and you'll see the, the parts of you that are affected and that you, there are parts of you that will be damaged. And then now you have to spend all these years in damage control. I would just say to listen to stories like mine and listen to other people who, women who have struggled with it, talk about it and see what they have to say before you think that it's not that big of a deal. Do you feel like the church has gotten any better at addressing pornography addiction with men and women at all no, recently? No. What could they be doing better? <laughs> um, talking still, about it in general? Talking about it. Still to this day, I'm 29 years old. I want to make sure this is loud and clear. Still never heard a woman in church talk about it. Never. Not once. I was a woman in church who talked about it, and I was proud to. But I still think it's a taboo subject. And for what? And for what? I mean, the whole point of the church is to release shame mm -hmm. and release guilt and live in freedom. I can't live in freedom if there's nobody else like me. If I feel like there's, like, if nobody is, if there's not another woman who says that she struggles with porn, I will never feel comfortable talking about it. I actually recently got invited to speak at a girls' conference, and I was like, hey, it's really weighing on me heavily that I should talk about porn. And it was a middle school group. And I was so scared to ask them, hey, can I talk about my addiction to porn? And she said, do it. I was like, okay. What was the reaction like? Um, their reaction, uh, the girls were like literally just like staring at me like, you know, because they're like, uh, maybe maybe in their heads everything and this is kind of gross and awkward. But the <laughs> people that came up to me afterwards in tears. Really? These young girls in tears saying, I struggle with that. I've never heard anybody talk about it before. Mm -hmm. That I'm like, to me, I do not care uh, if anybody thinks it's weird or gross or whatever. To me, for the one, it's worth it. So this one girl that came up to me and she was in tears crying and hugs me and I'm like, are you okay? And she was like, I've, I have struggled with that for so long and no one has ever talked about it. I've never told anybody. And I'm going, yeah, this is the point. This yeah. is the point. This one girl, her life. Then I said, go talk to somebody else. And guess what? She went and sat down with the female pastor and told her. Wow. Her life was going to be altered by that. Not because of me, but because I was brave enough to share my story. Yeah, for sure. But because she chose, like, after seeing a girl who was like her. That's the thing. There's no girls. I've, I never, never in the church once. I heard porn talk about 
B talked about two guys directly to, to my gut, to my fellows in the room. No, no, it's not just men. It's I'm like, obviously, I'm a living story, but like it's it is it is a struggle for men and women alike. And we have to do better. We have to start having conversations. We have to stop stop being afraid of the slack that's going to come from parents. Baby, if a mom comes up to me and says, my, my, my daughter's in fifth grade and she's never heard of that, she has. Oh, yeah. She has. And I was not the first person to tell her. Especially if they are on, if they have any sort of smart tablet at all. It doesn't even have to be a cell phone. If they have an it's iPad, everywhere. it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's like TikTok. Like, are you kidding? Like, yeah, you're so, going to tell me your six-year-old has TikTok, but they've never heard of porn? How are do you? you you deal because you I mean your whole thing is TikTok so how do you scroll through TikTok and everything because I feel like there is really sexually inappropriate stuff all over that app I've been triggered a few times for sure like I think the cool thing about TikTok is the algorithm like it caters to you your mm-hmm. for you pages for you and so I've tried my best whenever I see things like that um, there's a feature you can press not interested and so I try to press not interested when I see anything that's kind of like racy or sexual. Um, but there have been a couple of times like I can remember seeing videos and having to and being like, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm triggered and having to like get up and go outside for a walk or get up and go to the fridge and get some water like and get up out of bed because I watch it like before bed or like first thing in the morning. I'm just like should be reading my Bible, but I am going <laughs> to scroll through TikTok for a little bit first. Well, she is human, y'all. She is. Can human. we talk about that for a second? Can we talk about humanity? I was talking to somebody the other day about that. The the problem is, is that Christians in general, I'm generalizing in general, they're afraid to be human. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know that Jesus came and put on humanity? And so, so that we could experience the grace and forgiveness and love. He couldn't like humanity is nothing to be afraid of me coming on here and sh- sharing this, knowing uh, a lot of people are going to hear it. It's because I want people to know that I'm, I love Jesus, but I am a thousand percent a human being. Yeah. Like I, their humanity is, it's, it's, I should think we should all embrace it. And those especially are the most, Christians. the most powerful testimonies that you hear of people who come to Jesus are always dealing with that, you know, struggling with different sins, mm-hmm. dealing with that and then getting saved. Mm-hmm. It's not like I was just picture perfect, you know, and then I found Jesus. That's it. No, that'd be so boring. Yeah. It's What's totally boring. Okay. So what would you say to the young girls who are like, okay, Lacey, I hear everything you're saying. And I know that deep in my heart, yes, this is something I deal with or whatever, but you do not understand. I can't tell anyone in my life this. I cannot tell anyone I work with. I can't tell people in my ministry, my parents. It would ruin my life if people knew that I struggled with this. I'm just trying to deal with it on my own and just help that Jesus, hope that Jesus saves me. You can't. That's what I'd say to them. You can't deal with it on your own. There is no way. Like you have to invite other people into the conversation. If you feel like there's no one in your life that will accept you or understand, you're yet the wrong church, babe. Like you're not you're not in the right place. Like you got to find better friends. You got to find better community because the people who you do tell that you can't like the people that I've told, like, I, of course, it's nerve wracking. Of course, I was scared. But the, the re- response I got, it was always love. Not one person that I've ever told. And I've told hundreds of people at this point. Not one person that I ever told looked at me and said, ew. Not to my face, at least. And if they're saying it behind my back, eh, whatever, grow up, you know. But like I would tell that person, that girl saying that they can't tell anybody, like, no, I'm going to do it by myself. You can't. You can't do it alone. Um, we literally need each other. I still to this day, and I've been four years clean, need, I need people to ask me, hey, are you struggling with it still? Like, like t- talk to me about, because if they don't, and I've like told my best friend Kim, poor thing, you know, I'm like, I just need you to ask me if I struggle with porn still every once in a while. And she does, because I can't do it by myself and I can't struggle alone. If I get triggered, I tell somebody. Yeah. I, t- I send a text, hey, I just saw this video or hey, this pardon Bridgerton, you know, whatever. And I, and I want to look at porn. I'm not going to, but I want, I have to say that I want to. You can't get out of an addiction of any kind by yourself. 
the whole point of like you have to go to rehab, it's because you have to be around other people who want to, want the same things as you, which is clean. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and yeah, even even like people who say like, um, I can't tell anybody this will ruin my ministry. If anything, it's grown mine. So mm. I would say to you, uh, if you're afraid of being human, you might not be ready for ministry. Yeah. I think that ministry is being human. I think the most amazing women in ministry I know are approachable and open about their sin struggles. You talked about how when you finally started therapy for the pornography addiction, that's when you started putting things together like, oh, maybe, you know, when I was 10, I really was interested in this because of what I'd gone through as a child. Was part of your therapy process having to confront your siblings over abusing you? So my so my 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 blood siblings didn't abuse me. Okay. They um they were also abused by the same abuser. Wow. And we didn't find that out until last Christmas. Oh my um, god. So they knew about my abuse but they had never come forward about theirs. Um and so we didn't know that until last Christmas and it was crazy. It was just like we were like everyone was just freaking out. Did so, that come out because you had posted TikToks about it? No, um it came out because they were um drinking and it was Christmas yeah, and they decided yeah. it was time to tell my mom. So my poor <gasps> angel, I know my mom's just the best ever poor thing. But yeah, I think um, therapy, like whenever I was younger in therapy, especially I, I would say, cause I went to therapy when I was younger because I had attempted suicide like three times before I was 16. Um, and I had gone to therapy for that, but I'd never talked about my porn addiction specifically. My porn addiction therapy didn't start until I was, um, when I started regeneration and celebrate recovery. Like whenever I did that, then I was like, I got to get in like counseling one-on-one for this as well. And that's whenever I started making connection. Okay. So I was abused when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And then like whenever I was 10 and I saw this, it was almost normalized in my head that this is just something that people experience. And I didn't realize that I had actually suffered sexual abuse, um, until I was older wow because you don't know what's happening to you when you're young and then you're older and you connect all the dots and you're like i was dealt a not great hand i'm not gonna lie so how is your family doing now now all the sounds like all the revelations are at the table we hope i mean maybe the next christmas there will <laughs> be more know. you never know but so far with your recovery and i mean now that your brothers finally said it out loud are they also starting to get help are people starting to heal um my brothers have a, lo- a very different story than me um um i love jesus and they don't and um i think the biggest reason is because the person that abused us um their dad was like very involved in the church so we would we would actually and he beat my mom so we would actually say the lord's prayer every night before bed all of us together and then my mom would come out with like a busted lip and you know so my brothers look at the church and they're like absolutely not and that's fine um i found redemption and hope in jesus so our stories are very different my brothers went to um alcohol and drugs and um that is how i think they've just it's a it's a numbing thing um, and I didn't shoot, I, I didn't go that direction. So I think that their healing is coming. I'm believing that their healing is coming. Yeah. I think the hardest part is saying it out loud. I think it's, it's humiliating as a man to say that, um, that you were abused by another man. That's just, I mean, it's absolutely horrible either way. Um, but I think that, that definitely had to be a huge breakthrough for both of them. How did you overcome that feeling of betrayal from the church? still working on it, Alex. <laughs> You're in ministry. You I, went to well, Bible college. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think that people have this thing called church hurt. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's very popular, especially right now. Um, and deconstruction and all those things. I would say, uh, I heard it said like this one time, a pastor said, 
when you go to Target and someone hurts your feelings at Target, do you call it Target hurt or do you say this person hurt my feelings? So I think detaching um, the church big C, you know, um, from the church little C and people is a huge part of healing in every area. Uh, I am well aware that the church is not perfect. I'm obviously a part of it. And um, I have hurt people and I have told lies and I have, I mean, we should do a whole nother episode on the way that I left the, the church I was most recently at. Um, when I left, I, I mean, it was absolutely horrible. Lost every single friend I had oh uh, over lies I told. So like I've been a part of of hurting people. And so I think detaching the person from who God is. And I and I don't want to make it small. I don't want listeners to hear me and make it small. Like I know that the church hurt you, but God is still good. No, the church hurt you. And the, the hurt you experience is so valid and it's so real and it's huge and it matters and it has weight. But who I know God to be after every single person <laughs> left my life, I last May, I was the most alone I've ever been in my entire life. God was there with me fighting on the floor when I was crying, emotional. I'd ruined my life, quote unquote. God was there. Like he never left. And so I would say detaching the idea that when people hurt us, we have to make it about the entire church um, has really helped me heal. And um, I, I don't feel angry. I don't feel angry. I, of course, I go through waves. And last May, I was I was very mad at God. Were um, you dealing with stuff having to do with lies about your addiction and stuff in the fallout or something entirely different? Oh, something entirely different. Okay. Like, uh, yeah, entirely different. Um, I never lied about my addiction. Actually, regeneration was at the church I was at previously. That's where I did it. And I actually, they asked me to share my testimony from the stage. I was like, <gasps> are y'all sure? And they, and I did it. So they, like, th- like that, that church was just a huge part of my healing as an adult in general. Like I owe just so much of my healing to them and the, and the, the love that they um, showed me whenever I, you know, did share about my porn addiction, they did not shy away from it at all. And I really appreciated that. What should somebody do if they're like, okay, I'm kind of going through the same thing just as a sidebar. I had a huge falling out with my church or I don't like my church anymore, whatever. I feel hurt from my church. I, I want to get back into, you know, having a relationship with Christ and a walk with Christ. What is the first steps of totally starting over in regards to finding a church family? I just want to say at first, I didn't even want to go back. So I want to just like, again, humanity, very important to me. Um, Whenever I left in May, I did not go back for the whole month of June. And I was convinced I never would go back again um, because I was just I was hurting. I had hurt people and it was just a very tough time. I would say my first step is to knuckle it out with the Lord. I I would, even though I was angry with God and I was angry with myself and I was angry with all these people, I still would turn on worship music even when I didn't believe the words, even when I didn't want to hear it. I would turn on worship music and I was literally on my living room, face down crying, bawling on the floor. And I was mad at God and I was wrestling it out with him. And it was a, it was a me and him. And I would journal and journal and journal and journal and ask God these questions. And it really comes down to wrestling it out with God because you have to figure out why you are, what what's going on. There's something in there that needs to come out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times um, whenever you're hurt and you feel like you're hurt by the church and you leave the church and you don't want to go back, um, the first place I'm not going to go to is, you know what I mean? I'm not going to, when I'm mad at God, I'm not going to go to church. You know what I'm saying? But I did go to my living room and I still, I it's fighting through the feelings. And I think that's like the most important thing we can do. You have to own your faith for yourself. If you grow up a Christian and all you've ever known is what your parents tell you, um, I would say that you're probably, you're probably missing out. I would say whenever you start owning your faith as an adult and you start figuring things out for yourself and researching and learning who God is to you. Um, if, if I was a person who grew up in church and only ever knew what I was taught, like purity culture and true voice and all the things. And then I never figured out who God was to me as an adult. Mm. 
I wouldn't be here right now because I would still be addicted to porn. I would still be, I mean, this, it would be endless. Like I would, it's, you have to know God in a personal way, on a personal level in order for any part of your life to change. And so whenever I was hurt by the church and I hurt people in the church, um, if I didn't know who God was, and I said this in my, in my, um, departure, I said, if I did not know who God was on a personal level, I would never come back to the church. If I didn't know God, my father, like as a, as my dad, I would never come back. And they were like, I was like, fire. That's just the truth. It's just the truth. All right. Well, one of the biggest mysteries about you that people want to know is, is Lacey Abercrombie your real name? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's kind of crazy. Um, it is. Real name. <laughs> it's really my name. Real name. Give Lacey it a Lacey Abercrombie. Have you ever considered doing stand up? Or is it just going to be TikTok and sketches online for you? I would say that if I did um, consider doing stand up John Christ, I would just feel bad for him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I would have She's to give coming him, for you. I'd have to give him a run for his money because, you know, we, we do the same kind of comedy. And I think I, you know, I'm no, I've never thought about it. I think I, I would get too nervous. Like uh, a lot of times, like the TikToks I make, they are just like improv and ad libs. So I don't plan them out or anything. You don't? No. That's incredible. I'll, I'll see something or like I'll think of something funny. And then I literally will like go get my Jesse Beth gear and yeah. my hat and like my side part and all the things. And then I'll turn on the camera and I will literally just improv. When did you first create Jesse Beth? <laughs> what was the first thing you did with her? How did she come to existence? Jesse Beth was born whenever a friend of mine um, asked me for advice, like dating advice. And I just became a Christian women's conference speaker. So the voice <laughs> that comes with it is like, lovely ladies of the Lord, how blessed are we to be in the house of God today? <laughs> and it's like the breathy, like weird, like, you know, and I had the hand motions down and I was ready to preach a sermon. So I preached this whole sermon to her about um, how she should go for a man of God and not the trash that she was um, dating. And so <laughs> that when I was literally giving the sermon, I said, my name is, and I just came up with it. I said, my name is Jesse Beth. It's short for Jezebel Bathsheba. And I'm like, we can talk about that at a different time. Um, but like, like I feel like that was like the first time I saw Jesse Beth. And then she kept coming out and people would ask. They'll be like, to Jesse Beth, to Jesse Beth. I'm like, okay. So I'd give people advice via Jesse Beth. Well, then the first video I made was during the pandemic. I was like, if it's going to be so embarrassing if I post this on the internet. I'm 20, I was 27. I'm like, if I post this on the internet and nobody likes it, I'm like, Crickets. not only am I deleting my video, I'm deleting my account and also myself because that's going to be so embarrassing. I'm too old to be doing this. I mean, overnight it got, I think I, I, I got 12,000 followers in one night. Oh my gosh. From that one, my very first Jesse Beth video. Because so everybody there, relates to it. Everybody knows. And so now is TikTok your primary source of income or no? Oh gosh, I wish. No, I, you make nothing on TikTok. Like, they need to figure something they, out. Yeah, hey, TikTok, you're listening. No, 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 my main source of income. I'm a social media manager. So, oh, cool. Yeah, I've always had to hustle. So I, I also own another business called Love Your Neighbor. So I do like apparel, but then I also do. I manage other people's social media accounts. And you have a podcast, also, right? Yeah. What is that called? And what do you talk about on there? <laughs> it's called With Love, Lacey. And um, I honestly just talk about whatever I feel like talking about. Sometimes it's breakup. Sometimes it's like I only have a few episodes out, but I talked about singleness, like how to thrive being single. And like, you know, talked about basically when boys break your heart. I talked about like making making mistakes and basically what the hurt I experienced at the church. So um, I talk about really just whatever comes to mind. People really seem to like it. It's very odd. And what's your TikTok and your Instagram for people to follow you? <laughs> it's at Abercrombie Lacey. So Amazing. both of them are the same. Thank you so much for coming on The Spillover, Lacey. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Just like Lacey, young women who are struggling with an addiction to pornography probably have never told anyone. Please post this episode of The Spillover to your Instagram stories with a link for that reason. Shame is a lonely 
freaking place, let me tell you. And no one should have to go through an addictive experience alone or feeling like there is no way out. Culture is so gross, especially recently. And the fight against the oversaturation of sex is an uphill battle. I think, though, that change and healing begin with conversations like these. Think of how many times you come across a headline like, why porn can make your relationship better than ever. It's such a trap. And I want to know how you felt about this episode. So leave us a five-star review telling me and Lacey what you thought of her testimony. Make sure that you click subscribe and then next week tune in because The Spillover is back Thursday at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Or of course, you can watch every single episode of The Spillover on the Politics YouTube channel. I'm Alex Clark and this is The Spillover. Love you, mean it. Bye. Bye.